Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today is an exciting day for the Urban Farm Podcast. This is our 100th episode, and I can hardly believe it. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a huge shout out and thank you to all those that listen regularly. Since the podcast began in November, we've had over 150,000 listens. Thanks for sticking with us. It has been a delight bringing you this information, and I'll tell you what, we couldn't have done it without you. In honor of it being the 100th episode today, we've decided to bring on a very special guest, well-known permaculture teacher and author Toby Hemingway, to talk about his permaculture way of life. Toby is the author of a new book on urban and suburban permaculture, The Permaculture City, as well as Gaia's Garden, the best-selling permaculture book in the world, which won the 2011 Nautilus Award and was named one of the 10 best gardening books in 2010 by the Washington Post. He has been an adjunct professor 
at Portland State University and scholar-in-resident at Pacific University. Toby is a well-known permaculture teacher and has taught over 70 permaculture design courses. He and his wife, Kiel, live in Sebastopol, California. Welcome to the show today, Toby. Hey, thanks, Greg. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. Well, I've always loved nature and the outdoors and that sort of thing, and I know that that plus a love of gardening is often what draws people into permaculture. Uh, but my route was a little bit circuitous in that when I got out of college and was looking for a job, there really weren't jobs available for me in nature studies or field ecology or anything like that. So I went into molecular biology and genetics where there were jobs. Still fascinating stuff, really. Uh, it was all about patterns, and I was uh-huh. very interested in patterns. And after uh, a number of years of working in academic labs, then I got hired by a little biotech startup in Seattle. And the little biotech startup, uh, after I'd been there for about six years, discovered something useful, discovered a blockbuster drug, and blew up and turned into a giant drug company. Uh, in about oh. two years, we went from 80 employees to close to 2,500. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and it, yeah, just uh, an incredible, I mean, it was fun in one way, but it was kind of horrifying to... Well, I woke up one day and realized I'm a mid-level manager at a drug company. Uh, How on earth did that ever happen? You know, I'd gotten promoted. I was actually doing bench science and was a manager. And and um, at that point, I had went, had met uh, Kiel, my wife, and uh-huh. she didn't want to live in Seattle proper, so we decided to find a place out in the country. And I was playing bookie from work one day up in the Seattle Public Library. I was, <laughs> you know, un- unhappy with my job and, and skipping work quite a bit, sort of skipping out, hiding. And I was looking up books on homesteading in the library because we had just bought this, this five-acre place. And there was this big black book that I'd never seen before called oh, Permaculture, a Designer's Manual. Manual. Yes. And I pulled it down and leafed through it and said, wow, this has got trees and climate and earthworks and patterns and finance and community and ecology and all these things that I've always been interested in, but I never understood how they fit together. I just thought I was this weird guy with a bunch of totally disparate, unconnected interests. Mm-hmm. And the designer's manual and permaculture put it all together for me. And that was just, that was a huge aha moment for me. And I realized, you know, this makes sense of my life. I'm going to, it was very soon after that both my wife and I quit our job moved down to southern Oregon to a very quiet rural area on the Umpqua River uh, outside of Willsburg and got a 10-acre homestead and did the back wow. of the land thing. And so, you know, we, we really just, just kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and made this complete shift in our life. But it really was this, this very uh, serendipitous moment of discovering the designer's manual uh-huh. in the Seattle Public Library. What, it just shifted my life completely. What year was that? Uh, that would have been 91 or 92, like oh, wow. I said. I quit, quit my job in 93. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's when it was. Wow. So, yeah, those 22, 23 years have uh, been, been much more fun than the preceding 23, <laughs> for sure. So then you discovered permaculture, and did you go take a, well, what we call in the in the permaculture arena, a permaculture design course? That really was the first thing I did. I made a few phone calls and checked in with people, and there was a permaculture design course being offered 
in Northern California, which if I was in Southern Oregon, wasn't that far away. Right. Uh, taught by Tom, Tom Ward and Penny Livingston. Oh, and they nice. Have, yeah, yeah. They became my mentors very much. Uh, um, I'm actually going to be teaching with Tom next weekend, so my mentor has become my colleague. <laughs> wonderful. Nice. And uh, Penny actually let me stay with them for probably something like six weeks. I definitely um, made a nuisance of myself, just a friend of thing for her, helping um, helping them with their projects. Uh, but just, yeah, just dove in, took a permaculture design course, and the following summer was able to take a permaculture design course in Bill Mollison himself. Oh, wow. I'm actually, right here right here in Sebastopol, coincidentally enough, didn't live here at the time. But, so, yeah, I just, you know, just, just immersed myself the way a lot of people do. I really yeah. uh, hit the permaculture trail and took lots of courses, studied with all the all the people that who would, who would have me, basically, and um, worked hard at it and, and uh, just, just apprenticed. To anyone, anyone who is let me near them, yeah. essentially, who knew anything. Fantastic. So, for all my guests that are experienced in permaculture, I always like to ask them what their definition of permaculture is. Can you dive into that one? Sure, and that's that's always a fun question because it is very hard to define in a very short soundbite. Uh, but but I'll give it a shot. I, mean, I think the simplest way to think of it, although it doesn't tell you that much, is that it's it's learning from nature. It's it's learning how both natural systems and indigenous people, people who live close to nature, uh -huh. um, have done things and trying to mimic those ways of doing things. But I, I, I actually think of permaculture in a, in a little more specific sense, which is that for me, permaculture is a set of problem-solving tools that we can use that to arrive at sustainable solutions. It's a set of decision-making tools, really, that you can apply to gardening, uh -huh. or designing a community or designing a business uh, that really helps you arrive very confidently at sustainable or even regenerative solutions. Mm. Perfect. You use the word regenerative and sustainable. Can you kind of talk about both of them? Yes. So I think most people know, have certainly heard the word sustainable and sustainability, and it's a big buzzword. And, and really all it means is being able to do something for an indefinite period of time without destroying the, the systems that are allowing it to happen. Right. And so the, the problem with that is that we really have to ask, what is it we're sustaining? You know, like um, human beings have been waging war against each other for many thousands of years. Right. So you would call that sustainable, but we probably don't really want to be sustaining that. Right. And so a lot of people have moved on to the word regenerative where you're not just sustaining something, but the more you do it, the better things get. The more you use it, the more you practice it, whatever it is, the healthier things get. You know, in other words, like regenerative gardening, regenerative farming would be something that helps increase soil fertility and increases biodiversity uh -huh. and increases nutrition and things like that. So we're not just sustaining something, but it's getting better over time. And I, I, I really prefer... That word, I'm sure that at some point regenerative will get co-opted too, the way sustainable has been. But for the time being, it's a great word to use. Yeah, perfect. So, some people think that permaculture is complicated. In fact, I was doing a lecture here. Oh my gosh, probably 20 years ago, and I had a guy stand up in a room of about 50 people, and he said, "You can't do permaculture in the desert." And 
So there's this notion out there that it might be complicated. How can a, a beginner get started? And, and can you kind of unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you you know if you start reading your permaculture books by by beginning with the designer's manual, a great big fat almost bible of a of a tome, it can be overwhelming because there's so much information in there and it's coming at you from so many different directions. And and part of what I was trying to do with Gaia's Garden was to make it simpler. But even Gaia's Garden can be a little bit overwhelming and, and daunting. And so I think all people really need to do is pick one thing that they enjoy doing and try and apply permaculture principles to that. Uh, in other words, create really healthy soil. Just that, that could be, I think, one of the most regenerative and permaculture-like acts that anyone could do is mm-hmm. just fix up your soil so that it's full of, full of carbon, full of nutrients, full of minerals, and, and ready to grow you know, to, to grow really good plants. And the, the reason that I, I focus on soil is because it's it's a leverage point, and that's a really important concept in permaculture. One of our, our sayings in permaculture is try to get the most done for the least effort. And by fixing up your soil, by building soil fertility, you're increasing the life in the soil, you're increasing the nutrition of your food, which means that you're increasing your own personal health and you're mm-hmm. increasing biodiversity. It's this wonderful leverage point, and that's a very permacultural concept. So so it can be as simple as, as just helping your soil get better fertility. That that would be a permacultural act. So it's you can just start with one one little thing like that and and then as you learn, you get more experience, and you can move on to a few other things. And you can experiment, you know, growing some new kinds of plants, or, mm-hmm. you know, seeing how permaculture applies to something like designing a kitchen, or, oh, yeah. you know, running a business, or something like that. You can move on, but start small, and then and move onwards with that. Yeah, you can definitely apply permaculture principles pretty much everywhere in your life. Can't you? Exactly. That's why I think of it as a decision-making tool. It helps you arrive at good decisions. Yeah, perfect. So this entire conversation so far is kind of leading us down a path to the next obvious question, and that's what is a permaculture design course? If somebody wanted to jump in and take one, how do they find them, and what is it exactly? Yeah, yeah. Well, when, when Bill Mollison, who's the co-founder of, of Permaculture, the co-originator of the Permaculture concept, mm-hmm. along with um, David Holmgren, mm-hmm. two Australian guys, he, Bill was a terrific teacher and guru-like, really, and he developed a, an, an immersion course. Originally, it was three weeks long. People would come and live somewhere, camp out or, or stay, you know, rent a place to live, and, and take a three-week-long course. Um, Bill found that three weeks was longer than a lot of people could really manage, so it's been cut down to the equivalent of two weeks, roughly 12 days of instruction. Right. And it can be done in a bunch of different formats, but you know, there's the immersion where you actually go somewhere, a residential permaculture course, and it, it covers all of the basics of permaculture, starting with what is permaculture and what are permaculture's founding principles. Um, that's kind of day one. Day two is... How do you use permaculture? What are its methods? How do we learn from nature? And then you go on to understanding water for the next day and then soils for the day after that and then a couple of days on plants and a couple of days on, you know, a day or two on animals. And then you start broadening to what we call the invisible structures where we look at community and economics and livelihood 
and then we tie it all together with a design project at the end of the course that, that students do where they create a design together um, of perhaps the site they're on or, or a site that they've chosen. So it's a two-week immersion. It can be taught, well, my favorite format is to do one weekend a month for six months. So that's 12 ah, days. Yes. Um, and that way, you know, you don't have to take your whole two-week vacation and spend mm-hmm. it at some sort of design course. Some people who have jobs can, can go on the weekend. So it, it really is the fundamental immersion. There are introductory courses that are a day long or, or two days long. Right. You know, you might want to stick your toe in the water that way. But to really grasp permaculture deeply, um, I mean, you can get it by reading and you can get it by talking to people and watching videos and things, but, but I've really found that when people have taken a permaculture design course, they get it on a more on a deeper level mm-hmm. than, than by reading or by watching videos. Yeah. Uh, so it's not it's not essential for everyone to take, but um, I think if you're really serious about permaculture, um, it's it's a way to gain a deep grasp of whole systems thinking and thinking like a permaculturist. Perfect. I know when I took my permaculture design course, it it really changed my perspective. It, it shifted my paradigm about how I look at the planet uh, in so many ways. And the other the other part for me is my forehead was uh, sore because I kept smacking my forehead think, thinking, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. I'll bet you get that right. a lot, don't you? That, that's ex- I mean, that was my reaction, too, was both of the, the, P, the first two PDCs that I took from culture design courses that I took were utterly life-changing for me uh-huh. in, in increasingly deepening ways. And so many of my students, I'll say at the end of the course, this changed my life. This changed how I look at the world or I even have a quote from one of my students behind me here of, you know, this, this changes the direction I'm going to be going in the next part of my life. So it, it is. It's a it's a world changer for people, yeah. and that's that's I think something people should know going in that you may not look at the world the same way when you come out. You'll have a whole <laughs> system approach, a holistic approach yeah. to the world when you come out of the course. I, I would I would go as far as to say that you will not look at the world the same way. Not you may not work. Right, yeah. If you're paying attention at all, you, you won't be able to see it the same way. You'll yeah. see it as, as a, a whole whole system, and that's a wonderful way to look at the world. What is one of your favorite permaculture concepts? One of my favorite ones is the idea of, of multiple functions, we call it. That's our little bit of, of jargon. Uh-huh. But, but if, you look at, if you look at how nature does anything, she never does kind of just one thing. You know, if you look at a tree in nature... If you think of how we use trees in landscape design, we might plant a fruit tree or right. a shade tree uh-huh. or a pretty colored tree or something like that. When nature plants a tree, it's, it creates shade and it probably has a nice foliage to it in the fall and it probably has, almost certainly has some sort of habitat for some creatures that provides food and shelter and that sort of thing, but it's also harvesting rainwater and directing it towards its trunk or out through the drip line, but when the leaves fall, it's building soil, the roots are breaking up heavy soil, it's providing habitat for beneficial soil organisms, and on and on and on and on. And I think when we start to design things, that if we can remember that, that anything in our design is going to be able to serve multiple functions, even uh-huh. if we only think of it as having one, right? It's, it's certainly going to serve different functions. You know, just like something simple like a, a water tank. Yeah, it holds water, but it also is a 
a source of what we call thermal mass. It, yep. it takes a long time to heat up and a long time to cool down. So you can use it to keep things cooler or keep things warmer, depending. So and we start to think in terms of multiple functions. What are all the things that it can do, and how can we take advantage of, of several of those things all at once? And that's one of my, my favorite concepts. That, that really, you know, it was an eye-opener for me to to realize, wow, everything does more than one thing, even if we're only using it for one. That's right. That's our silliness in not seeing <laughs> the possibility of all these multiple uses. Yeah, I call that the human condition part of this. Exactly, you know, right. We can't see the, all the different opportunities that are there. Right, right. That's really it. We are, we are just overwhelmed with opportunities, and learning to see them all is really the trick. Yeah. So you talk a lot about patterns as well. Can you kind of give us, uh, you know, the ten cent tour of patterns and how they affect our lives? Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by patterns. Just I think, you know, partly I, I have a kind of a scientific mind, but also a kind of an artistic bent as well. And patterns really satisfy both of those. So, yeah, um, what I've found about about patterns. I mean, nature is full of patterns. You look out at plants, and you'll see spiral patterns and branching patterns. And you know, you look at the ocean or the clouds, and you'll see mm. ripple patterns and wave patterns, things like that. And all of those patterns are nature's way of solving design challenges oh. or showing how forces are, are flowing when they meet together. You know, where the, the wind hits the ocean, you get waves happening. And when you when you look at a sunflower and say it's got this beautiful double pattern, double spiral uh-huh. pattern on it, those are there because as the plant grows, each cell or each seed is trying to get as far away from all the other seeds and, and yet still growing at the same time. And this double spiral pattern that is formed is the solution to that. It turns out that is the perfect growth pattern that, that solves the problem of how can I grow, but how can I also grow as far away from all the other seeds so that I get maximum light, maximum Oh, interesting. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you see a pattern in nature, it's really nature's way of solving a design problem or resolving forces. Mm. And those are our issues when we're designing something, whether you know, whether you're a professional designer or whether you're just you know, planning your day or, say, you're planning your route to work. You know, how, how am I going to drive so I can avoid traffic? That is that is what we call patterning. What What is the best pattern mm-hmm. a road take in order to get to work? So we're, and we're innate patterning. Human beings are so good at pattern recognition. Yeah. You know, just the way... We can look at objects and see faces in almost anything. That's I was going to—that's our pattern. Yeah, our pattern recognition ability, right there. I was going to say the the face thing because once you realize that you you know as humans we kind of look for faces. Mm-hmm. Now everybody, after you've heard this, you're going to go out in the world and from day you know day to day you're going to see more faces, aren't they? Right, you yeah. do. You just anywhere there's two dots in a flash, you know, whatever they are. Two, yeah. Two bolts and a little slot in something. You know, oh, that's a face pattern right yeah, there. Yeah. Exactly. We're, we're hired wired to see that pattern. So yeah. It shows up everywhere. So a few years ago, what, 2001 maybe, you wrote a book called Gaia's Garden. How did that come about? <laughs> well, originally, at the course that I took from Bill Mollison back in 95, 94, 95, he learned that I was a writer. I had been doing science writing at the, the biotech company I was working for. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, the book that hasn't been written is a guide to North American permaculture sites. 
Oh. So I thought, well, that's a great idea. I'll write a guidebook to North American permaculture sites. And as I started writing it, I did a whole bunch of research. We did like 40 different permaculture sites around the country. As I started writing it, it was very hard to write, and it was kind of boring. It was, you know, <laughs> over here is the pond, and next to the pond is the greenhouse, and inside the greenhouse are, you know, it just it was really hard to tell the story that way. Uh-huh. And I hired an agent to help me sell that book, and she looked at it, and, you know, wasn't I'd only written a couple of chapters, but they were hard to write, and they weren't much fun. She looked at it and said, you know, site reports, it, it'll, it's going to be boring, and only the, the sort of the true crazy permaculturist will buy a book like this. Right. You make it a how-to book. Uh-huh. If you tell people how to do this stuff and not just describe it, but, but people would go for that. And, and I realized, wow, that's, that's, thank you, Natasha. That's, that really, really helps me. And I rewrote those chapters that I'd already written, and they just kind of wrote themselves. The book just flowed out of me once I got that really. Yeah. This is why an editor or an agent, someone with some publishing experience, was really, really useful. And it, it, you know, it was a much better book, and I'm sure sold a lot better than it would have. So that that was the genesis of Bill Malls and planting the seed. Um, he actually, uh, to be honest, was mad at me for not writing the permaculture <laughs> site. That was the book he wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, we we got over it. But um, yeah, that that was the genesis of Barry's Garden. And and in 2009, Chelsea Green asked me, the publisher asked me to write a second edition because it was still selling really well. So I revised first edition and I'm sure in a couple more years there'll be a revised third edition yeah exactly exactly well congratulations because I know you've sold tens of thousands of copies it's it's somewhere around 200,000 oh well a lot of copies yeah Yeah. copies yeah spread over you know 12 or 13 years but uh, well congratulations that is that is thank you epic so then comes along the next book called The Permaculture City. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I, I had, I've spent a lot of my adult life in cities and was starting to get really interested in urban permaculture and suburban permaculture. That, that For one thing, not everyone has access to, to a lot of land, even if it's a quarter acre, but, but certainly five or ten acres you know, out in the country. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly a lot of people's dreams is to, is to move out to the country and have a a big piece of land, but, you know, over half of the world's population lives in cities, Right. and if you include metropolitan areas and suburbs, then it becomes more like 70% of the world's population lives in places where, the, the phrase I use is, there's more there's more people than plants, there's more pavement than plants, Yeah. and that, that's my definition of a city or a town, and they're just, they're very different types of, of problems in places like that. Out in the country, you're thinking about deer and how to get into firewood and things like that. <laughs> right. And and in the city, it's, you know, you're worried a little bit about pollution and crime and, you know, getting along with your neighbors and, you know, the high cost of real estate and things like that. So it's a very different set of issues. And so I, I realized, well, in, let's expand permaculture. You know, people were doing this. A lot of great work is going on in a lot of cities in permaculture where folks are realizing, you know, we need to address the issues of income inequality and gentrification and community and how do we get, you know, how do we make friends with our neighbors, how do we work together, much more in the way of people issues. And so that's really the focus of the permaculture city. There is there's several chapters on gardening um, in cities, but also one on gardening in community, because that's one thing we do a lot in the cities, and not everyone has their own garden. 
But really, a lot of the focus of the book is how do we get energy in the city? How do we get water in the city? Mm. How do we create community? How do we find sustainable and equitable ways of, of earning a livelihood? Right. So it really looks at the human side. So it's really suitable for people, anyone who lives in a small town, mm-hmm. uh, all the way up to you know someone living in Manhattan or Tokyo, uh, whatever size city. It's just where if there's more pavement than plants where <laughs> you live, then, then this book will speak to you. Perfect. Well, and, and we're lucky enough here at Urban Farm U to actually have a version of that book in a class called the Permaculture City class. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is an online class that we put together, and we've done one uh, one round of it already yeah. last year, which was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we'll be doing another round of it this fall, yep. uh, which is a uh, roughly seven or eight part. There's a free webinar involved or right. a couple of those, and a set of seven or so classes that go through, uh, really cover some of the same topics as the Permaculture City, the same major topics, but I can go into more detail, and of course, right. there's question and answer period, so people can get specific questions about their own situation answered. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of taking the book and, and bringing it to life, and that's, that's the online course that, that we'll be offering, uh, starting again in the fall. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Any other projects or any any other things you're working on that you want to share about? Well, I've, I've got a couple more book ideas going on, and I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm working on a book on patterns at the moment. Oh, yes. Because uh, there, are, there are a lot of books out there on, on the beauty of patterns, and uh-huh. there are a few books out there on oh, yeah. how patterns are formed, but there's, there's really only a couple of books out on how to use patterns in design. And that's really the focus of this book. Uh, I mean, I talk about how patterns are formed and things like that, but then how do we use them? So that's yeah. that's uh, kind of my next big writing project. Uh, and I'm teaching a bunch of permaculture design courses, teaching one in Seattle right now. I'll be teaching one in Petaluma, California, uh, starting in, in October. Uh-huh. Uh, and essentially, I go I go where I'm invited. You know, people want me to come out and do a workshop or something like that. Uh, I'm always happy to, to come out and do that. So... Um, that's that's I, I was kind of sick for a few months, had a, had a fairly serious illness, but I'm over it now and um, getting kind of back in the saddle and uh, ready to, to go do a bunch of workshops, get out and, and help people as much as I can. So Sweet. That's, that's what's coming up for me. Sweet. Thank you. So can you talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it? Yeah. So one of the kind of more embarrassing failures that I've made. <laughs> Those uh, are always... That, that occurred, yeah. Always the <laughs> best know. kind. Don't like to talk about them, but well, when, when we moved really to the country, when we bought our 10 acres down in southern Oregon, you know, I realized, wow, I've got 10 acres. And uh, it had been clear-cut about 20 years before and then only replanted fairly recently. So it right. had a lot of young Douglas fir trees and a lot of kind of weedy stuff and the soil was eroded, you know, it was a very battered piece of land. And so I really felt like, okay, I'm going to restore this piece of land. And I got just really dozens and dozens of trees. I got walnut trees, and chestnut trees, and apple trees, and cherry trees, you know, just really probably a couple of hundred trees in different soils. Wow. And just planted them, planted like three acres, four acres of trees, something like that. And Having lived in Seattle for a bunch of years where you get plenty of rainfall and it's uh-huh. a little dry in the summer, but not, not too dry, um, I didn't understand that I was living in a Mediterranean climate oh, where oops. the rain essentially stopped in May yep. and didn't start again until October. So all of a sudden I had to water, you know, 
three acres, four acres of plants all by myself. Uh-huh. And essentially almost everything died mm. over the course of about three years. And nothing thrived. I just couldn't, you know, I'd, I'd be watering all day long. We're spending tens of thousands of dollars on water. irrigation. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have enough water to do that. So, you know, essentially what happened was my garden and my whole domain that I was managing shrank to about the size of a typical urban yard. Oh, nice. And I realized that that is about all I could handle as a, as a single person with occasional helpers. Yeah. Um, so on, in one sense, it was a failure. You know, I killed a lot of nice trees. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, what I learned was to start small, um, figure out what you're doing, you know, get to know your climate, get to know your soil, uh-huh. do some research, <laughs> and, and don't bite off more than you already know how to chew. You can always get bigger. But it's embarrassing to have to get smaller, smaller. because you, yeah. you know, and it can be damaging um, to have to cut back like that. Yeah. So you know, my apologies to all of those trees mm-hmm. for killing them. Uh, but but I learned I learned really what scale was appropriate for me to work at, uh, and I learned the lesson of starting small, and you could always grow. Yeah. If you realize, oh, I could I could handle more than this, or now I've got help. Right. That sort of thing. So, so that was a, a very big lesson. A lot of lessons were there for me. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? Right. Yeah. Well, really, I think just having having written Guy's Garden, that, that having this this book that, that, you know, I mean, I can remember when I was very young, someone asked me, you know, pretend you're an old, old man and you're on your deathbed and... If you live, if you're looking back on a really satisfying life, what what had you done in that life? Uh-huh. That was a really cool question. Oh, no kidding! Uh, and I, the the answer that popped right into my head was, I wrote a book that meant something to people. Oh wow! And, and now I've done it. Which, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's a wonderful feeling to yeah. you know to to kind of have that checked off on my bucket list. But, yep, wrote wrote a book that, that worked. I mean, I figured, you know, my first book might sell a few copies, and then the second one a few more, <laughs> maybe by my third or fourth book. And so to have Gaia's Garden be so successful right out of the gate um, and make a difference to so many people. Yeah. I've had so many people come up to me and just say, you know, this changed the way I looked at the world, or I gave it to my parents, and now mm. they're, you know, becoming permaculturists, or I gave it to my kid, and, you know, and just realizing that it's had an influence on people. So I, you know... I've had other various successes of different different sizes, but that one that one really really means the most to me. It affected so many lives through yeah. through that book. Uh, Made a you know, difference. I can, I feel like yeah, like I can you know I can leave this planet probably having feeling like I've left it a little bit of a better place yeah. than my having been here. And what drives you? What what really drives me is for well really almost everything I do has something to do with permaculture. I'm sorry, <laughs> I was going to say as far as permaculture is concerned, but really permaculture is, is my life in a pretty mm-hmm. big way. Is the fact that I I really feel like we are at a critical juncture in in history that there are more human beings on the planet than there have ever been. Um, I recently read the statistic that ninety nine percent of the Earth's vertebrate biomass is either humans or their livestock. If there's oh only one percent of the vertebrate the vertebrate weight, the weight of all the vertebrates on the planet, only one percent are wild animals. The rest are humans and their livestock. Wow. And you know, just just I mean we all have our grim statistics and it, and though that is something that drives me the fact that I feel like we're at a critical juncture where 
um, if we could go extinct or we could drive a lot of other species extinct, we could turn the whole planet into a desert. This is a precious, beautiful, wonderful, rare place to live. We don't have any others. It's home of ours on Earth. Right. And so that that is what drives me. Is I feel that the whole systems thinking, that permaculture and related disciplines like that have a huge piece of the answer to how do we live mm-hmm. you know, as human beings in a, in a satisfying way on, on this planet. And so being able to understand how to do that, to communicate that message, to help other people do it, um, and, to, and to measure those successes, to say, you know, yes, we are building soil, we are cleaning the air, we are cleaning the water, we are helping biodiversity. You know, some, some really measurable successes like that, um, I think, are, are important. You, know, you need to gauge, you know, are we doing good things or are we doing bad things? Well, yeah. I think we're doing, we're doing good things in permaculture yeah. that are countering a lot of the, the really destructive things we're doing. So that, that's what drives me, wow. is, is this critical juncture that I believe we're at and, uh-huh. and we can make a difference. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there one book that's been influential in this process for you? Or maybe two? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the designer's manual mm-hmm. was a, a huge, huge piece for me. Um, that that has been, uh, you know, just really, really changed my life. And actually, I, a wonderful older book on patterns, on, on nature's patterns, called On Growth and Form, oh. by an Englishman named uh, Darcy Thompson, Darcy Wentworth Thompson. Hmm. Um, called, it's on growth and form, and it was originally written in about 1917, and then revised. He did a revision of it in 1940 something. Wow. But it is it is it's a book on how how shells form, how animal horns form, how diatoms form, how fish grow, how you know how all the things in the natural world how they grow and they form. And mm-hmm. Some of it's a little out of date, and some of it's been superseded by a more contemporary research. But it's for one thing, he is a masterful writer. It's just it's beautiful prose, and it's a big fat book with a lot of pictures in it. So it's a uh-huh. lot of a lot of fun to go through. But yeah, on growth and form, um, I spent months looking at and studying and understanding because it really gave me a deep understanding of kind of the unity of nature, how the same processes and patterns can be found throughout nature at many different levels and all different species and, and all different sizes and scales. Perfect. Thank you. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Yeah. Well, I think a lesson that, that I've really found in my life, and it's, it's corny, but um, some of those corny things are really true, uh-huh. and that's the, the Joseph Campbell's advice to follow your bliss. Hmm. That, you know, I, I, I thought I was supposed to be a scientist. You know, I, I was really going and kind of my programming as a, you know, upper middle class white guy. I was, you know, supposed to have a, you know, kind of a prestigious job and all of these sorts of things. So, you know, I went into molecular biology and you know, worked for a corporation and worked at universities and things like that. And, and it was okay. You know, I was, I was like doing all right at it. But, but I, I, you know, I was, I was dissatisfied and I knew that I loved nature and I knew that I wanted more of an alternative kind of life. And when I discovered permaculture, and just went for it, you know, just said, I, I'm going to do this. I, I love it. Um, I'm going to abandon the corporate life and abandon, you know, all that other stuff. And, and the same with, with writing Guy's Garden, you know, just, I, I just pursued what I loved. 
Yeah. And life turned around for me. I mean, life, life has become so much fun and so beautiful and so fulfilling and, you know, and, and just better for me. I mean, I, you know, I, yeah. I earn a decent living and, and, you know, I'm kept busy with lots of fun projects and, you know, all kinds of things like that. My, you know, I, I feel successful uh-huh. now that, that I'm doing what I love. So that would be my advice is, you know, it's scary. <laughs> and it's intimidating, and it's you know kind of getting in at the deep end of the pond. But but do what you love, what you listen love. to your heart, yeah. and do that rather than what you think you ought to be doing or what someone else thinks you ought to be doing. So that that would be my advice: is really do follow your bliss, follow what you love. Wow. You know what it is; it's yeah. in your heart. So <laughs> just listen and do it. Perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Toby. It has been a treat chatting with you. Yeah, lots of fun, Greg. Thanks very much for inviting me. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, my website uh, would be the easiest way to do it. Uh, It's tobyhemingway.com, and the last name is T-O-B-Y-H-E-M-E-N-W-A-Y.com. Or, you know, if you just Google Gaia's Garden, that'll, that'll oh, yeah. drive you that'll eventually to me somehow. But, yeah, my website has a contact form and all that sort of stuff, and it'll tell you what I'm doing. You can sign uh, up for your newsletter there, too, to, right? Yep, I have a newsletter. You can yeah. sign up for it, um, which will get you an article. We have a new article every issue of the newsletter and keep up with the places I'm going to be and stuff that I'm doing. And Perfect. every tidbit, sometimes you know, lists of useful plants and, and things like that will come along with it. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if you have an opportunity to come and take a class with Toby, do it. You offer them throughout the year, throughout the West, right? Yeah, well, really, anywhere anyone will have me. Uh, I, will, I will kind of go anywhere, perfect. but I, I concentrate mostly in the West, but uh, perfect. You know, I'll, go, I'll go anywhere. <laughs> perfect. And I, and I just look down. I, have, I always have a list of notes when I'm doing these shows, and I just look down and realize that you're our 100th show. Uh, wow, that's pretty cool. That's With great. The hundred mark. A hundred mark. Yeah, we launched in uh, November of 2015, and we put out three episodes a week. And uh, you know, boy, here we are, a hundred hundred episodes wow. later. So thank you for uh, thank you for playing on that level too. <laughs> that's great. That's uh, that's auspicious, Greg. That's yeah. Fun. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.